what we learned was we shouldn't even have need for somebody to play a note, somebody to stand up here and lead us. Just knowing who he is in his word, we should walk through the doors, worshiping, magnifying, praising the Lord. In our daily work, worshiping, praising, magnifying the Lord. It'll make a difference in your day. I said it'll make a difference in your day. When praise and worship fills your life, it'll make a difference in every church service. Amen? God bless you. You may be seated. We welcome all of you in the house of the Lord tonight. Good to see you here. So thankful for our guests that are gathered. We're thankful for those of you that have come in and to be with us in this summer's time. And uh, it's good to have... Ruthie, back home. Amen. Amen. I congratulate you for finishing early. Praise God. That always speaks well. Amen. Lexi, a little different. Uh, We're going to start with Revelation chapter 1 and verse 4. We didn't give her these verses before, but I think she'll be able to bring that up. John meets Jesus. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you in peace. From him we, which is, which was, and which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne, from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I'm glad John wasn't having a pity party. I'm glad John wasn't trying to figure out when somebody was going to come get him. I'm glad he decided that this is the day the Lord has made and I'm going to get in the spirit because when he got in the spirit, he began to hear. He began to hear from the Lord. He said, and heard behind me a voice, a great voice as a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, unto Tyrathera, unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed in a garment down to his foot, and girded with the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white as wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire. His feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. His voice 
as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of of his mouth went a two-edged sword. His countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. He heard that voice that, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. John met Jesus. And he took the pen in hand as God directed him. And he gave to the world the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Lord does not waste any scripture. He doesn't give scripture for filler. He intended that we get the message. The message that he was sending to the church. I announced this morning and am in complete agreement with the title of the message I announced this morning, The Doctrine of the Nicolaitans. In Revelations chapter 2, the angel of the Lord He writes to the church, and the angel that John is hearing from, of course, is he's hearing from the Lord, and he is writing to the pastor of the church at Pergamos. But let's just back up in that chapter to the sixth verse, and he is complimenting the church at Ephesus, and he said, You've got this going for you. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, when I was younger, the only thing that I could relate to was a Nicolaitan was a Nickelodeon. And I thought there must be some connection. And... uh, in my simpleness, I thought maybe the Nickelodeon was something to do with movies. But the Nickelodeon is a much deeper and a much more serious situation. Matter of fact, twice in this portion of Scripture, the Lord said he hated the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So he says, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he that hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, where thou dwellest, where Satan's seat is. Thou holdest fast my name, hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, 
who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against thee with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saveth he that receiveth it. Can you say amen to the word? In verse 12, and in also the reading in chapter 1, we find that there is a sharp two-edged sword that is coming out of the mouth of God. And he said, it is the word of God. A two-edged sword cuts both ways. It cuts on the forward stroke, and it cuts on the back stroke. In reference to what he's talking about in the Word of God, as how the Word of God is able to affect us with its two-edged sword, when God first sends his Word, it is a Word that brings conviction. And if the conviction does not accomplish its task, then the sword brings destruction. You see, with one edge, Christ fights for us. And with the other edge, he can fight against us. The church of Pergamos is threatened that unless it repents, the sharp sword with two edges will be turned against it. So we ask the question, who were the Nicolaitans mentioned in the book of Revelation? Who they were, whoever they were, Jesus loathed them. He hated them. That's strong words. We, we, we try to teach our Young children, don't use that word hate because it's, it's as though nobody had to teach us as kids that the moment our emotions got inflamed, we could immediately find that word and say, I hate you. And so we, we try to tell our children, don't, don't use that word. That's a terrible word. That, don't use that. So how bad is that word? Well, that word hate is a strong word. It comes from a Greek word, missio, which means to hate, to abhor, to utterly repul- to be utterly repulsive. And it is a deep-seated animosity. The Scripture said that the Lord hated the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. The thing that Jesus hated about them was their deeds. That means their works. The Nicolaitans' works 
were what the Lord hated. It's impossible to have a, a doctrine without ending up having a work that comes from it. You say, well, I, I believe this, I believe that, but I, it's not going to affect me. Hello? We do what we believe. And it was what they were doing that the Lord hated. When we look at the word Nicolaitan, it is derived from a Greek word, Nicolaos, which is a compound word of Nikos and Laos. The word Nikos in the Greek means to conquer or to subdue. The word Laos in the Greek is translated the people. And so the need, the, the term or the word means to conquer the people. The Nicolaitan doctrine was conquering the lay people, turning their hearts in a direction that was not the intention of God for his church. Two early church leaders referenced the Nicolaitans and their work and recorded their work in history. They talked about how that Nicholas was one of the seven deacons that was chosen in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, I believe we have that. Uh, Lexi in chapter 3, verse 3 and through 5. Wherefore, brethren, look you out from among you Seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Nicholas. It, it's amazing to me how that a man that began in such a place, in such a relationship with the Lord, that his brothers and his sisters trusted him. They found him to be a man full of the Holy Ghost. But now we find him, as we read about him, as having led people into a doctrine, into a philosophy, into a teaching that Jesus Christ could say, I hate it. How could a man go from where he was to where the Scripture finally finds him? We must be careful that we do not become overly confident in our walk and our relationship with God, that we do not maintain our walk with God to that level of consistency with our conversion. You understand that? We remember how that we were lost in sin. We remember how we hungrily sought after God that we might be delivered from sin. But are we still just as hungry today to maintain that relationship, 
to maintain that same fervency of desire to walk with God. If not, we could end up as a Nicholas. Nicholas was a proselyte. He was not a Jew. He proselyted. He became, he converted to Judaism. And then he converted to Christianity. So Nicholas was a man that came from paganism. He had pagan roots. He he was not like the others that were chosen. His, His background was not there. He was a man that was adapted to change. He was a free thinker. It was said that he was able to embrace new concepts and new ideas. And so he converts from paganism to Judaism and then from Judaism to Christianity. And then we find he moves again. The scripture is addressing that last move that he made. The scripture is addressing a teaching that he brought into the church. It was in the city, but it was affecting the church. He said, you have there in Pergamos this doctrine. Sometimes we become very complacent about what's in our community. We become complacent about what's in our world. You say, well, it's not affecting me. Really? It's affecting our community. It affects the people we love. It affects those around us. And you can know for sure it affects God. You see, God's not just looking at the church today. He's looking at the world. You say, well, if I, if I get in church, I won't be able to do this anymore. You're not supposed to be doing it now. <laughs> the church is here to be your hope and your light to get you out of where you're at. Some folks, I've, I've actually talked to people that uh, they, they wanted to stay a little more in, in, in the world until they got a lot of stuff done, and then they were going to live for God. Why pollute your life? Why, why pollute your mind? Why to get into stuff that you'll have to deal with the rest of your life? Convert early. Seek the Lord early in your life and stay there. Pergamos was affected by the occult Satan worship. Nicholas was instrumental in bringing these things in and making people in the church feel like they could do the stuff in the world and they could still do the church thing. That's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to still remain a Christian, but I'm going to do all this other stuff too. I can live a twofold life. I can have one foot in the world and I can have the other foot in the church and it's okay. You know, we're covered by grace. That was the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. It was the kind of teaching that would bring total defeat to a Christian. You do understand as a child of God that the only success we'll ever have and the only victory we'll ever possess is when we are completely, totally committed and dedicated to Jesus Christ. 
It's not going to happen when we are kind of patty-caking for Jesus and we're doing our thing with the world and when we're trying to, uh, well, we'll I'm, I'm going to show up. I'm going to be there. I'm going to pay my tithe. Uh, I'm, I, I'm, still, I'm still part of the church, Pastor. But what else are you a part of? What else are you a part of? What else have you invited into your life? What else are you doing that, that is not consistent with your walk with God? This is the, the problem with the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. As he began to spread his doctrine that because of grace in your life, you can live any way you want to. And you have Christ on the inside, but it doesn't matter what's on the outside. This was the doctrine that Jesus hated. It was a dualism. Trying to... Well, what he did teach them was what was pointed out in Revelation. He said, you have taught the doctrine of Balaam. You'll read in Numbers 22 through 25 the account of how Balak brought in Balaam. Balaam was a prophet, and he brought him in to curse Israel. And on his way, his donkey talked to him. Balaam was not even surprised that he was having a conversation with his donkey. That was one of the amazing things of that story. He's having a conversation with his donkey, and he don't even think about it. And he sees an angel, and then he gets a word from God that says, don't go. And, but he's persistent. He really wants to go. The reward is great. And so he goes. But the Lord said, you can't curse Israel. You're just not going to be able to do it. So every time he went out and looked at Israel, he blessed them. But after it was all done, he pulled Balak aside and he said, I'll tell you what will work. He said, I'll tell you what will defeat the Israelites. He said, what you do is you infiltrate their tribes. You somehow get your women to get in there and marry their men. And then they will compromise. It won't be long. They'll be worshiping your gods. And they'll be stumbling. And so it was that the doctrine of Balaam was that he would infiltrate their worship. They could still be an Israelite, but they were worshiping the idols of Baal. They were into all the sexual immorality that came with that false worship, and they were displeasing to God. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans was one of encouraging compromise. Compromise with the world will always result in a weakening and a powerlessness in our life and our walk and our relationship with Christ. This is the reason that Jesus hated the doctrine of the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Brother Raymond Woodward had 
something to say about this, and I want to share with you. He asked the question, does the Holy Ghost affect the outward actions and appearance of the vessel he chooses to dwell in? Does it affect it or not? Do the standards of conduct and appearance given in the Scripture apply to us today? Or should they be discarded in favor of a lifestyle that is less conspicuous and less offensive to modern society? But is outward holiness really a foundational issue of the apostolic faith? You ever heard the statement, history repeats itself? This is where we are today. Nicholas, the proselyte of Antioch, one of those seven deacons chosen by the church, led his group of people. Brother Woodward said it was probably a, initially a knee-jerk reaction to the overly legal Judaizers. And so he, instead of finding a different path, he went totally the opposite direction. Nicholas and his followers erred in combating one extreme teaching with another extreme teaching. So, well, they're too far to the right. Guess what happens? People end up going too far to the left. Somebody says, well, the teaching is oppressive and I can't handle that kind of teaching and guess where they go? It seems like when people turn, they just never quit turning. John compared the Nicolaitans to Balaam who cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. Nicholas declared that Christians, since they were sinners saved by grace, could live like the world on the outside and still remain saved on the inside. His teaching would later be the basis for the doctrine of unconditional eternal security, which says once saved, always saved. And even the practice of confessionals, where there is confessing to a priest while living in sin. He goes on to say, since his teaching required no outward or inward change to be saved, he and his followers practiced or attracted large number of converts, both from the pagan religions and from lukewarm churches. Nicholas taught that externals of holiness were not important. God, for however, had a different opinion. Twice in Revelations, 2 in 6, 2 in 15, God said he hated the teaching of the Nicolaitans. He still hates it. He hates it today. The Greek theologian from A.D. 125 to A.D. 202, Irenaeus, Let's us know how far this worldliness eventually reached. He said, I think I have this one on the, you may have put that up there. The Nicolaitans are 
the followers of that Nicholas, who was one of the seven first ordained deacons ordained by the apostles. They led lives of unrestrained indulgence. You see, an outward standard of holiness was the first thing to go in the great falling away of that latter first century. But the tide of change didn't stop there. Holiness was soon followed by a lack of repentance, a lack of need for water baptism in Jesus' name, a lack of speaking need of seeing the need of speaking in tongues or the gifts of the Spirit or the oneness of God. I was talking with a minister just the other day and I said, it's sad that so many have left us. And he said, oh, but brother, they're just not keeping our standards. I said, have you gone on their website? Have you looked at their doctrine of salvation? They say that baptism is optional. It's certainly not required. They have a back room that sometimes, if you really want the Holy Ghost, they'll help you there. You see, it it started off just, we don't need this outward change in our life. We don't need that separation from the world. We can't win them looking like we look, so we got to look like them to win them. I've never figured that one out. They need to see something different than they are in order to be able to know there is a difference. That early church that left this, they, they didn't stop with the outward change. It propelled the church into what is known as the Dark Ages until it was years later before there became a reformation and people began to seek their way out of that darkness. And we are here today because of the grace of God. The Nicolaitans are rising in the ranks of the apostolics today, says Brother Woodward, and I have to agree. They are compromising the non-negotiable principles of Scripture for personal convenience and societal acceptance. They're surrendering holiness because it is too burdensome and laying truth to rest in the cold grave of tolerance because it's too exclusive and inflammatory. They have massacred the Scripture, maligned the apostles, mortified their Creator with their shoddy scholarship and their loose living. He goes on to say, but the modern Nicolaitans do not deceive me. I know the damage that they did the first time around. Their freedom is nothing less than the old bondage in a new cloak. If you observe them long enough, you will see that holiness is only the first item on the agenda for change. For the slope to ecumenicalism is steep 
and slippery, and history does repeat itself. I remember the young man that preached in this pulpit. I'm not sure how many revivals. He was a fireball powerhouse preacher when he came out of Bible college. He preached the truth of the Word of God. He went to another state, took a small church, grew it, developed it. They built a massive building, had a tremendous congregation. He started visiting what he heard in other places and outside of our movement, and he would hear about a revival that was happening in this denomination, and he went to check it out. And he went, and pretty soon all of his fellowship was outside of our organization. One day he came home and he, he told his church, he said, we're not doing standards anymore. That's not important. It was just a matter of weeks until the river stopped flowing there. Now the testimony of young children, 12 years old, 10 and 12 years old, came to their parents and said, Daddy, what happened to our church? He said, what do you mean, what happened to our church? They said, it's not here anymore. It's not here anymore. It wasn't long until there wasn't a congregation. Pastor sold the building, pocketed the money, went off. Sad to say, today he's selling real estate. And I thought, of, I can still see him in my mind's eye. I can still see him preaching the truth of the Word of God. What a dynamic man of God with holy anointing. But then he said, the outward doesn't matter. And it wasn't long till it was all gone. Brother Graham preached a tremendous message at our camp. The river doesn't go there anymore. I won't repeat that message. I think I may have played for you before. I know when I heard it, it was not the first time at camp. But it's a sad reminder that we can actually lose the visitation of the Spirit of God. What, was, what we have and what we've had through the years came to us at a great price. People that sacrificed, people that separated themselves from the world, people that lived consistent lives, not just what they did at church, but it was the same outside the church. They didn't have two lives, one that they looked like this at church, but they looked like the world everywhere else. And as a result, the river of God flowed here. As a result, the Spirit of God was in the house. It was marked there. But if we ever began to decide that all of that doesn't matter, then God's going to say, I guess I don't matter either. I'm going to go somewhere else. You say, well, where will he go? There's always somebody that's seeking him. There's always somebody in pursuit of him. 
You say, well, what about so-and-so? I heard, I heard they got miracles going in their church. and It's like something I heard Brother Tenney say a number of years ago. He said, God can bless somebody coming to Revelation, but he can't bless somebody leaving Revelation. So we've got to be careful that we do not throw away what God has given to us. Maybe you didn't personally get the revelation. That might be the deal. You see, it was handed to us, and we received it so easily that sometimes we forget there was a price that brought it to us. I don't ever want to forget. I don't want to ever lose it. I don't want to buy into the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. It's out there. It's out there. I just don't want it to come to Indian Village I don't want it to come to anyone in this house today. And so I lift my voice with the voice of those that I have quoted here today. I lift my voice with their voice as a sound of warning. Don't go that way. Don't go that way. By the grace of God, not under my watch, and I pray that whoever comes behind me will have the fortitude and the wisdom of God to continue to walk in these old paths. Not the old paths of the United Pentecostal Church. I'm talking about the old paths of the Word of God. Because that's where we got our standards. That's where we got what we live by. And that's what's going to help us to get where we need to be. I have a destination. It's heaven. I don't want anything I don't want anything in this world to cause me to miss it. Let's stand together right now. Would you lift your voice in prayer? Would you lift your voice to the Lord in the name of Jesus? Father, I pray today that you would help us in this house. you reach over and pray for someone near you right now? Pray one for another right now in the name of the Lord. I pray for us, Lord Jesus, that we never be deceived by what's going on around us, God. The Nicolaitans attracted their crowds, but they lost their soul. We don't want to lose our soul, Lord Jesus. We don't want to lose the river. We don't want you to quit moving among us, God. We don't want to lose the power and the demonstration of your spirit. We must never lose it, God. We've got to have you in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. God bless you Wednesday night.
We will be looking at Acts 1 and 8 for this purpose is the title of the lesson. I'm looking forward to it because the man that wrote it, I went to Bible college with him, and he's still walking in truth. Amen. God bless you. Remember the offering as you're dismissed in Jesus' name.